Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome 
welcome back, everybody. Hope everyone's having a good deer season. We have probably the most like highly requested episode that we have ever done right now. Uh, we have two of our our most popular episodes, uh, or our most popular guests from past episodes, on together right now. They are Mr. Jeff Homan and Mr. Adrian Farley. Uh, Adrian, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Good, man. Jeff, how about you? I'm doing great. You know, just trying to get ready for this upcoming hunting season and stop working on vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. And as always, we have the ginger bow hunter, Jacob Myers. How you doing, Jacob? Doing good, man. I'm fired up for this episode. So it's been a long time in the making. I think this is going to be uh, really big for a lot of guys. I saw one guy today put on Facebook after we announced that we were going to do this. He's like, y'all are going to blow our heads up with like what y'all, what y'all are going to be talking about. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot excited about this episode. Uh, Jacob, why don't you real quick uh, kind of give an overview of what we're about to get into here? Yeah, so uh, we, we finally have been able to get, uh, you know, Adrian and Jeff on, which, you know, definitely been wanting to get y'all back on for a good while now. And uh, trying to make it timely, you know, uh, again, you know, a good portion of the United States right now is getting into, you know, running activity. In a lot of places, it's wide open right now. Other places, like in the southeast, uh, you know, Maybe we're still a couple of weeks out or some areas a couple of months out. Uh, but we're going to talk today just about overall deer taxes, but really a lot about calling. Uh, I know, Adrian, uh, you do quite a bit of calling when it comes to rattling. Uh, Jeff, I know you have some, uh, some calling experience, especially when it comes to grunt calls and your thoughts on that. But also, we just want to kind of talk to you guys with your knowledge that you've had, you know, doing this for so long. You know, when is the right times to be doing this and how do you be successful uh, when it comes to calling? But also, we're going to dive into all things hunting, especially, you know, kind of focusing on later in the season. I know, Jeff, where you're at in South Alabama, you know, the rut is much later than, like, what it is, like, right now in Georgia and, like, where I'm going to be in Tennessee. This so, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to kind of cover, you know, what is different about hunting later in the season when the rut's really kicking. But other than that, it's just going to be really exciting. I think a lot of guys are going to get a lot out of it. So, let's kind of dive right into it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, um to to get things rolling here, we'll we'll just bounce it off each of you, uh, Adrian and Jeff. So uh, we'll like kind of do questions, you know, one at a time. Uh, so I guess I'll start out with uh, uh, Adrian. How is your season going so far? Have you been out in the woods? What, what's it shaping up to be? Been a slow start, slower than what I figured I'd be doing right now. Um, I've been scouting since before season went out last year. Uh, actually. Georgia set the camera up February 9th, I think it was. Um, so last season went out on the tent, so I've been in the woods all summer. Uh, I'm doing a little different than what I've been doing for the past 15 or so years. Uh, I'm getting back onto some of the management areas. I've hunted national forest predominantly for the last 15 to 20 years. And uh, with some of the restrictions and stuff they're getting on the management areas over the last few years, I've, I've noticed the quality of bucks is, is improving. So um, I'm concentrating more on management area. And this year, I'm just trying to devote my time strictly to, to public land. Uh, over the past 15 or so years, too, maybe maybe my whole life, I've always bow hunted around my house here on some, on some private pieces of land that I've got permission to hunt on. So this year has been kind of a, a start over kind of thing. You know, I've been back on public land doing all my scouting, trying to get ready for this coming season. So I'm 
having to get back out and find places that I can hunt in bow season and, and early season of, of deer season. And where it used to, it would be, you know, I only concentrated on the uh, public land during the rut. So, uh, but this year, man, I've only went hunting three times. I mean, that's that's not very much, but I've been in the woods a lot. Um, I'm in the woods scouting uh, sometimes two or three days a week. So uh, I know I actually today I went out and I um, uh, found a good buck last year that I couldn't didn't get a shot at, and uh, I've been kind of waiting till season progressed a little bit more because some of the places that I hunt. Um, I mean, they may be some, some nice deer there randomly, but most of the time it's after hunting season gets started and pressure gets on and uh, rut gets started. And, and I noticed over the years that, you know, there's certain places that these bucks will run to and, and they, that's where they spend their time. So it don't do me, don't do me any good to put up cameras and scout for some of these deer until the time gets right. So, so I went ahead today and put up three cameras on a, on a good deer that I've been looking for and ended up on a, what I thought was going to be about a quarter mile scouting trip. Ended up, uh, I'm not one to get lost in the woods, but uh, I got turned around somehow or another in the bottom of those big valleys and ended up coming out a mile and a half away from my vehicle. But, <clears throat> but I saw a lot of stuff and ran across actually a, a big community scrape that looked like it had just been made today. And it's, we've had a couple of rain showers and and it was uh, really fresh. So so I'm just learning, you know, getting back out on public land and finding places to hunt early season. So that's where I'm at right now. I hear you, man. Uh, Jeff, what about you? How's your season been going so far? Oh, man, my season's been kind of slow. I guess like Adrian's as far as get, being able to get in the woods. You know, I started out strong with my cameras in July, seeing a lot of deer. And like I say, it come up and been having some problems with my vehicle. So I've spent a lot of time on that. But the times I did get to hunt, you know, I got uh, actually on the secondary draw for one of the Uchi SOA hunts and went down there and hunted all four days that I was allowed to hunt and saw deer every time I sat in the stand except for the first first afternoon we went in. Other than that, I think there was five bucks I saw, several does, a couple of young ones. And then when I, each time I went to the forest, except for twice, I've had does come by. So, I mean, it's been eventful when I've been in the woods, but uh, this year I ain't been in there quite as much, but that's going to change this upcoming weekend. All of my stuff should be right. And it's going to be game time. Heck yeah. I hear that. Yeah. It's a, it's going to be right this weekend down here, man. It's going to be nice and cold on Saturday. So I think in the morning it's going to be pretty close to freezing. So I'm uh, definitely excited about that. So, uh, Jacob, how do you want to jump into the rest of this? Well, one thing I want to kind of dive into is everybody's history when it comes and background when it comes to calling. Um, <clears throat> I feel like that's important because I think everybody comes from different backgrounds. And I don't think a lot of listeners – come from different backgrounds of calling. I think some were probably introduced to it at an early age and maybe are more comfortable with it. And I know a lot of guys like myself that to me, calling is, is, um, is, um, something I'm not necessarily comfortable with. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I just don't have a lot of confidence. I haven't had a lot of success calling, uh, whether it's, uh, implementing, you know, grunt calls, rattling or and anything in between. Um, so, you know, one thing I'd like to kind of dive into right off, right at the beginning, is, you know, starting, Adrian, let's start with you again. 
you know, what is your background with calling? How did you get into it? I'm a good bit older than you guys. I mean, I'm, I was probably deer hunting probably before y'all were born. So, <laughs> uh, I guess when they first started uh, making any type of video that that showed any type of deer hunting, uh, the first first video I ever noticed, uh, or actually I think it's you can pull it up. It's probably the first deer hunting video ever produced and and um, put out for people to watch was was uh, Gene and Barry Wenzel with the October whitetails, but that that came out and then as you know the hunting industry grew a little bit more uh, started getting some more videos and stuff and then uh, the Primos guys with uh, Primos they uh, they really caught my attention uh, they started coming up with different type calls and things and and I got to see some of that stuff on video and uh, I can remember when they they first come out with a can you know, just that uh, doe bleed or fawn bleed, whatever it's called. Um, I've uh, I've always tried to duplicate calls and just use my mouth. So when I first started calling, you know, I was just trying to replicate the uh, the can call. And as uh, a piece of property here, about 40 acres, a friend of mine's got close to my house here. I was working night shift at that time. I'd get off at seven in the morning and drive just a few miles down here and and uh, go bow hunting and I'd hunt off the ground. But uh, I started just trying to do that uh, fawn distress call and I did that with my mouth and man, I had a bunch of does probably the first time I'd done it. Uh, it was early bow season and I had three or four adult does just come running straight to me, you know, and I was like, wow. But I, I didn't get a shot at them, but but I'd go back and I'd, I'd do that some more, you know, started off with a fawn distress call. And, uh, you know, then I learned, you know, that that call is probably better. If, I mean, if you just want to kill a deer, I mean, which I, I do use the same call now. And I'll, I'll give you another scenario in the same location where I called in these four bucks also doing that. But I started doing that distress call and... Uh, and then I got to realizing the time of the year that you need to do it. And, you know, that's going to be when fawns are, are new, you know, to them. You know, they're just being dropped, you know. And so if there's no fawns, there's no use in using a fawn distress call. You know, you, don't, you wouldn't want to use that call too much later in the year. You'd want to use it early when the fawns are, you know, young. But uh, so I was sitting there one day and doing the same call and uh, expecting these does to come back out on me. And I could see through the hardwoods uh, probably about 100 yards in this particular place. And I noticed this, this spot come running to me. And they, they wouldn't just run in full blast, but you could tell they were coming to my call. And I didn't know nothing about calling at that time. So so this, this spot come, come trotting up there toward me. Right behind him was a, maybe a four point. Behind it was a six point, and behind that one was a nice eight point. So there's four bucks coming to me, and they stopped out there about I don't know about 75 yards, I guess. And you know, looking back on it now, I, I realized why they stopped. You know, they could see that they plainly wasn't anything there, and uh, so that you know, I just learned through the years, you know, how to set up when you do the calling because. You really don't need to, you need to be in an area where they can't see what what's going on because if they can see it, you know, they don't, they don't have any reason to come on into it. 
But uh, anyway, I hit that call again with them locked up out there at 75 yards, you know, and, and they finally just turned and walked back off. But, you know, if I had known what I know now, I could have got them up to 10 foot from me. But uh, just learn from your mistakes. So I started off, that was my first experience with calling. And then, uh, you know, I went up in the years when everybody had video and TV shows on it. You know, I've watched a lot of a lot of rattling and stuff. And, and I used to think, man, these guys, and probably it was mostly Northwest hunters, you know, and their rut up there is, is, uh, is really confined to a week or two. So, so those, those kind of callings and uh, buck fights and things really work well. But here in Alabama, you know, are, are, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that they wouldn't uh, be breeding six months out of a year down here. But uh, I just thought I'd, I would give it a try down here, you know. And uh, luckily it happened, you know, the first couple of times I tried it that I, I was able to rattle in a, a decent buck. And, uh, and after the first one, man, I, I hadn't let off it anymore, you know. I'm, I'm waiting on rut to get here every year. Austin, now jumping over to Jeff, you know, Jeff, like kind of your upbringing and everything, you know, was calling ever like a big thing for you? And, you know, what was it like, you know, when you kind of started implementing calling and, you know, how did that kind of help you, um, you know, kind of through the years, if any? Well, you know, whenever I first started using like a grunt call, it was, I didn't start hunting until I was 23. So, you know, I was a late bloomer. You know, picked up a grunt call, you know, with, had seen some videos where you see people just, arr, arr, you know, and I ain't trying to say anybody does anything wrong because if you're not comfortable with it, you shouldn't be doing it because you'll be fidgety in the woods. But once I heard my first buck actually grunt in the woods, I was like, wow, I've been doing this all wrong. And I started trying to imitate that real low soft grunt and and when i do those you know I, I try and do it on a pace like i would usually see the deer bucks when they're coming in grunting you know it's like almost every other step will come in just that real low eat, eat. and that's what i try and imitate and you know i've found different ways different grunt calls a call i have now is a flex tone and i've had it for years I bought other ones, but I never had one that made the sound that I wanted of that real low. And like I was saying on the Facebook page, I like to turn it around backwards and suck the air in because it makes a lower tone. And it also helps keep it from freezing up when it's real cold outside. But, you know, I'll catch myself a lot of times. If I have young bucks come in, I try different you know, sequences, I tried louder, softer, you know, I try and do different things just to see how the deer react to it. And I've been doing that for years. You know, I've, I've, I've it in some bucks, uh, had a couple of decent ones come in and spook them off, you know, because I grunted once too much or, you know, I, it was like I tried to overly get their attention and they wasn't buying into that one. So, but I've been doing it off and on you know, like I say, since I was 23, but how I've been doing the soft one is, I guess, maybe the last 10 years. And it seems to, you know, fall into what I hear, just like the video that Andrew posted on Facebook. You know, that's 
every buck I've ever heard, young or mature buck, that's what they've sounded like coming through the woods. So that's what I try and imitate. Yeah, yeah, me and you were talking about that. So anybody who's not following us on social media, I was scouting the other day for this quota hunt that I have in Georgia, and the rut's just getting started there. And uh, I was standing by this tree, and I'm standing in this little cane thicket down by a creek, and here comes this little like three-point spike. He had like two spikes on one side. He's kind of a cool-looking deer. And he comes walking up just grunting, and I'm filming it with my cell phone, and he walks to about three steps from me before he sees me. And he's grunting the whole way. I mean, you can hear it loud and clear in the video. Uh, and it's just like, it's, I don't even know how to describe like what a what an actual deer grunt sounds like, but it almost sounds like kind of hollow, dry, and uh, it sounds like, I think I said earlier, it sounds like a metal stick being raked across like a, like a metal washboard or something like that. Like it, it doesn't sound, it sounds weird. And a lot of calls that I've messed with at least, like don't really sound like that. Um, I tried a hooks messenger grunt call and that thing sounds pretty good, uh, as far as what I've heard in the woods. But yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely one thing that dawned on me a couple years ago was, was what an actual deer grunt sounds like. Cause you don't really get to hear that much outside of the rut unless you're hunting all over bedding like we normally do uh and then also another one is is a rattling so i remember the first time i heard a buck fight and i was like my goodness i have not been doing that right all these years (laughs) because it's just so much there's so much more to it than just you know shaking a little like rattle bag or or clanking some antlers together or whatever so uh so i want to before we jump into actually breaking down how you call and everything i want to get into like when is the right time to call or or when you use certain calls so again we'll jump back to adrian here uh adrian uh, what times a year are you using certain calls and then you know when do you know when to use those calls that's a that's a really good topic but uh i'd like to just just make a note here to everybody that's listening uh and I'm pretty sure that any anybody that has the experience on calling can can agree with me, and I'm sure Jeff will. Um, the things that we talk about about calling and and the, and the different sounds and the knowledge that we have in the woods. Uh, first of all, is there's no magic thing that we're going to be able to tell you that's that that's just going to make it you know just happen for you instantly. The things that uh, that Jeff and I have learned. Has taken a lifetime to do that, and you just have to get out there and try it and figure out what works and what don't work. And you know, we can give you the best piece of advice and tell you what to do and what not to do. But but my my suggestion is is try it because you know if you do it long enough, you're going to learn how to do it. So so like I said, there's nothing magic about what we do. It's just experience, and the only way to to ever learn that is to actually do it. So. So I just want to make that note for everybody to know that, you know. Uh, so spend spend as much time in the woods and watch videos on calling, rattling, whatever, grinding, and just learn everything you can. I mean, that's how I, how I got started. But uh, so going back to uh, how do I, when is, what part of the season or when do I start using calls? Uh, I mean, I'm like Jeff was talking about earlier, you know, talking about hearing different uh, grunting sounds and the sounds that deer make. I mean, you're going to hear things like that throughout the whole season if you really know what you hear. And, and be honest with you, um, you're really lucky to hear a deer call. I mean, it's 
it's just a faint sounds that that the human ear just don't pick up on. I'm sure a deer can hear it well, but um, probably a lot of people have already heard all these calls and they just didn't realize it. I mean, they're really, really subtle calls. And unless you, it's like that video that you posted the other day where it just walks right up on you doing that, you know, and, and through the years, uh, I remember the first grunt I ever heard, I was hunting on Mulberry Fort Management area. And uh, I guess it was during rut, I don't even know, because that was back before I was started rut hunting. So, uh, but I heard this deer in this pine thicket just running around there grunting. And, and the grunt that that deer was doing is, is more of a tendon grunt. And that grunt was, uh, I call it clicking. It'll, it'll be just a, it's, it's not a, not a grunt like you would blow like, it's not that, it's like, I don't know, it's it's, it's almost to a click point. It's, let's take, take a grunt and break down each syllable to it, and that's what they'll do when they're tending. That means he's right hot on a doe just running around everywhere, and, and they'll make a bawling sound. Um, the Primos guys come out with the, uh, with the, uh, I'm using it. I don't even know the name of it, but uh, it's a buck. What they called it was a buck roar, and I actually use some of that sometimes when I'm calling. But uh, getting getting to the point of when I call, um, my favorite time of the year is pre-rut, and you have to really pay attention to the, your area and know what phase the deer are actually in at that time. And how I learned that was, you know, through the years was just paying attention to what kind of sign that I find first. And I've noticed that once um, once you first start seeing scrapes in the woods, and and I ain't talking about deer deer will make a scrape. They'll make a scrape even in summer, but but the but the scrape that I'm talking about is the pre-rut scrape. It's where you can be walking down logging roads and you'll see a scrape opened up. You know, and you may see another one. You might find several in a day if you're out scouting a lot. But when you first start finding those scrapes, like the areas I go to is, is areas that I've hunted for years, so I know where they're going to be doing the scraping. So I'll go in and check those places. You know, you, you may know of a place where you found a scrape before. You know, go back to those places and, and just see if they're starting to open them up yet. And once, once you start seeing two or three scrapes open up in the usual places, then I know at that time it's time for me to start rattling. The the bucks is going to come in, you know, they're going to be ready to breed before the does even come in heat. Uh, so they'll start putting out that sign, I guess, just in case a doe comes by that is in heat, you know, she can pee in the scrape or whatever and he can find her. But, but the bucks will start making the scrapes before the does are ready. And whenever they get that in their mind, they've got, they've got breeding in their mind then. So that's the best time that, that I can do best with rattling. Uh, even, even just before the scrapes coming in, I mean, I've never done it, but, but I hear people talk about uh, just, you know, like sparring. If you're just ticking your antlers or ticking a bag or something where bucks are just sparring, usually that's a, you know, that's more of a, where they're establishing dominance and probably building up their neck and whatever, but but that's not actually a, the rut sparring, you know, it's, it's just uh, whatever, just checking each other out for whatever reason. But whenever you start first start seeing the scrapes come up or come open uh, in the usual places, uh, then that's the time that I start really getting after them on rattling. Jeff, what about you on that? 
on that same question about uh, knowing when to call and what calls to use? I'm about the same way. You know, I, like I say, I mainly, I do a little bit of rattling. I'm not, uh, I don't do a whole lot. And even with my grunt call, it's usually about the same time trying, you know, pre-rut three weeks before I figure they start rutting. Like I said, when you start seeing all them scrapes and then like if I'm in a stand and I have a couple of does come by, I might sit there for three or four minutes after they go by and then I'll start grunting kind of low, you know, hoping maybe a buck's back, you know, trying to track in on them and then now they think another buck's up there so they're going to try and come up here and get into them before the other one does you know and I, I don't do a whole lot of calling you know grunting as far as you know overly aggressive it's it's real light and like i say i try and do it on a cadence of every other step every couple of steps because that's what i hear and then you know i, I have the little rattling what do you call them made by the pack racks or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. like like I, a, like a black that. rack type thing it's it's a two-piece and it slides together and it has like balls on one side and the other side looks like a star almost oh yeah. oh oh and it, yeah i can't remember I what that thing's called um do y'all know got one in the cat and been checking it out but yeah i know what's talking about it's made by night and hell i think it's called a pack rack or something like that they have a small one they have a large one which both of them make different tones but i'll use that some but it's usually the same way if i have a young buck that i'm not going to shoot that walks by i try and let them get on by and you know i'm i'll i'll tickle it to begin with and then as it goes on the deer's further away i'll start you know i'll make it hit hard and then kind of go into, you know, a little bit more of aggressiveness, but I keep hold on them real tight so it doesn't have a hollow sound. It has more of a, a deeper sound, you know, like a rack attached to a deer's head. You know, one thing I was told years ago that, you know, people take racks and cut them off and they make uh, rattling racks out of them. I had a guy tell me, uh, years ago to take those racks before you get ready to use them and soak them in water that way they don't have such a light tone in them they you know they have a little bit deeper like they're connected to something so it's just not like a real light rattle but i always try and do my stuff pre-rut you know coming in because i usually that's when i'll start seeing you know the bugs come into it a little bit more interesting i've never heard that about soaking uh antlers in water but that makes a lot of sense i mean that's the same reason that that when you kill a, a like a big old buck that you're going to get put in the record book you have to let it dry for a certain amount of time because the antlers have some moisture to them and i guess when they dry out they shrink and so that's how they get that net score uh that's that's interesting though see that those are the kind of tidbits that i'm excited about picking up uh throughout this episode um hold on i'd like size on what jeff's talking about that sound also mm-hmm. uh, just just to push the form a little bit more um i bought that uh, primos rattle bag i don't even know what year it was probably around probably the first one ever come out with and whenever i bought it uh, i used it just like it was for a while it's, and it has plastic sticks in it but I noticed that while I was out there in the woods, that the high tones in that bag wasn't quite right. 
and it's got different size sticks in there. And I took out all the small sticks to get that deeper sound that, that Jeff was mentioning. You know, because if you don't do that and you don't, if you're making that real high pitch sounds like Jeff's talking about, you can take two antlers, it's not attached to a deer's head. You know, it's, the vibration is not grounded, so it's just real high pitches. But uh, if you hold hold on, you know, if you're doing the antlers or like Jeff's talking about the, the call he was using, hold it tight and firm to where that, that uh, real high tones don't just echo, you know. You want it to be more of a realistic sound, just like a deer antlers attached to his head, you know. So I took out those sticks on that on that uh, rattle bag, and that's the way I've used it every year since. And uh, and I was at Academy this year and noticed that uh, uh, Primos had a rattle bag. I was thinking it was a different bag than what I had, and I liked the sound of it. And so I went back and bought that bag this past week. I got home and it's identical to the one I've got, but I noticed that they don't have those little sticks in it anymore. It's just like the one I've got now because I threw those sticks away. So um, there, there are certain sounds, you know, that uh, you just have to have to learn what it, what it really sounds like, you know. And things don't, these calls don't sound the same in the store as they do out in the woods. So you just have to find one that sounds right while you're in the woods. Yeah, you said, you also said something about, uh, like trying those rattle bags like outside right because uh, it, yeah. it, it just sounds it sounds different when you're indoors especially in like a smaller space right yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh, grunt tubes are the same way I, that's what i was just about to ask our grunt our grunt tubes the same way like depending on yeah. where you're at it sounds a lot different yeah if you're even hunting thicker woods versus open woods it, <laughs> to me i can tell the difference of how it sounds you know, right. just uh, any type of echo or anything. Mm-hmm. Jacob, you got anything you want to jump in with here? Not necessarily. I, I've definitely noticed, though, uh, using some shed antlers, that if you do not hold them tight, they definitely will make a lot different pitch than when you actually do hold them firm and you hit them a certain way. Now, again, I haven't had any luck rattling, so I'm not going to act like I know anything what I'm talking about, but I do understand when y'all were talking about the whole aspect of you know holding everything firm so it is a much deeper sound and it really it, it not only does it carry but it doesn't have that weird almost like two by four like not well not two by four but that wood like weird like wood cracking sound that i've got with uh some antlers like if you don't hold them very tight and you start like you know messing with them they have that really high pitch almost like a little ring to them and uh, i can see how that doesn't sound very realistic plus you know like both of y'all were talking about watching videos of deer actually fighting i mean a lot of times when they're fighting they don't make a whole but there's more ground noise of them like pushing each other than the actual yeah. racks you know going back and forth they're not like headbutting each other it's totally different I, i've thought for years about you know ways that i could make that ground noise you're talking about because really that you hear that more than you do the rack the racks hitting uh, i've even seen videos where guys take a like a shed antlers or, or either synthetic antlers and and use them on a rope and actually do their just while they're in stand leave the leave the rack on the ground so they're so they'd be hitting the leaves and things but but if i'm rattling and and i can get to a tree that i can get on where there's some leaves or limbs or something up there i'll, I'll try to create all the noise i can make you know because you do hear the ground noise of, of a fight more than you do the, the actual antlers hitting 
And uh, just to back up some, I was talking about one of the first first thing I ever used was that rattle bag. Years ago, when I first first started killing deer, and I, I remember uh, having a, probably at that time biggest deer I'd ever killed was a four point. And I remember taking the rack, just that four point rack, and and trying to call with that, you know. And uh, then then I've got my own theory about what size rack you should use if you're going to use one, or what kind of sound you want. To, do you want a big rack or do you want a little one? And uh, I think you'll get more response out of a out of something that's going to sound more like a average size buck than you would a, a big mature buck or even a small one. Uh, just my theory, a, a big buck's not just going to run into to a spikes fight, you know, like you would uh, eight points fight, and then vice versa, you know. That, so, to me, you try to try to get get a sound that would be of an average, say, a hundred inch deer or something, and that that kind of rattling seems like it works better. All right, well, and that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, I think sounding consistent sounding, especially when it does come to uh, rattling, which I think grunting's the same way. And if you're going out there, I, I remember growing up, it was hilarious. Like when that whole Primo's buck roller grunt call first came out, my brother bought it. And that sucker had the deepest grunt. And I'm like, if I heard that in the woods, I'd be climbing up a tree ASAP because that doesn't sound like a deer. <laughs> and, uh, well, exactly. So, you know, it's just, you know, and I've seen guys use, and every part of the country is totally different. If you're in the Midwest and you're chasing 190-inch deer, you know, use 180, 190 inch, you know, sheds, you know, if you're going to rattle, but you know, you hear those suckers clanking together. You're like, Oh my God. Like that sounds like car parts sitting together. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. But I think like you said, sounding like whether you're grunting or whether you're rattling, sounding like a, not like a dinky little deer, but not sound like you're the biggest, baddest thing in the woods. Definitely. I feel like would help bump up your odds of having, you know, a bigger deer come in and investigate what's really going on. Yeah, just try to be more realistic to what would, uh, what's actually there. You know? One thing I want to kind of dive into right now, which is a question that was uh, posted on Facebook from the post we made, and this is going to be directed at both of y'all. I'm going to start with Jeff first. Uh, Jeff, do you ever implement blind calling in any situations? You're talking about when he uh, – I, I was confused by what he means by blind calling. I mean, I've yeah, never so heard that actual term. Yeah, so blind calling from the way I've kind of learned about blind calling is when you're calling when you're not actually seeing any deer. You're just calling to try to bring something into range, but you're not actually calling to a specific deer. So have you done that before, and have you had any success if you have done that? When I do that, I'll be honest with you, it's usually uh, probably within an hour before I plan on getting down, you know, uh, trying to get some attention to some deer that maybe is just on the outskirts of my 60 yard sight range. And, but that's about the only time I do it is really right before I start to get down. And I'll do as far as grunts, I do it a little bit different. You know, I don't do that every other, you know, step type sound. I'll do it and I'll turn my head. I'll, I'll, I'll grunt in one direction, turn my head, grunt another direction, you know, just try and make a circle around me so if there is anything they they will hear it and they think maybe a deer is moving because it sounds like it's coming from different directions now you know kind of adrian you know back to you you know do you implement blind calling much with your tactic and if so 
you know, how does that play a role in everything that you do? Well, I guess if you if you want to call it blind calling as if I haven't seen a deer and I'm going to try to call to him, then I would say probably all of my calling is blind calling. Um, I just, I'm, I'm in an area where I know that bucks like to be and I don't necessarily have to find buck sign. I, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm buck hunting, I'm not hunting. I mean, you know, sign is good, but I've learned to put myself into the habitat that they prefer. And uh, so whenever I go calling, um, I mean, there, there's locations now that I go to every year and I'll still have success on them, but it's just because that's where the deer want to be and I know they're going to be in that area. So I guess pretty much all of my calling is about blind calling. And see, that's, well, that's a question that a lot of guys have is how do you be successful blind calling? And I definitely, you know, since you rattle a lot, you know, I feel like definitely rattling would probably be a very good blind calling technique. But, you know, again, you know, how does a guy go about implementing blind calling, you know, if he's going to be rattling and feel like he's doing it the right way and he's not, say, over calling uh, when he's blind calling? Well, uh, let me let me interrupt here real quick. Let's preface this by you mentioned uh, you're putting yourself in the habitat they want to be in. So what what is what exactly does that kind of area look like? And then we'll we'll jump into the rest of that. Well, just get back to I guess the, like the first podcast we talked I talked on there about uh, the thick thick stuff that I like hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess probably most people don't know, but uh, Jacob actually come down and sit with me one afternoon during the summer on a, and hunted for pigs. And uh, so we got to ride through the National Forest and I kind of showed him the kind of stuff that I like. But uh, Going back to, uh, which we're in Alabama where, you know, we, we're limited on hardwoods now because they've all been cut out. So most of the stuff we've got to hunt is pine. Uh, unless you get on the national forest and some of the bigger management areas, you know, you get into some, some nice hardwoods. But, but so we've got we've got a, a lot of pine, and some of the stands of pine are too big to get a tree stand on, and which you know they nothing to do about that. You just have to find something different. But a lot of ground cover uh, don't have to be it don't have to be like rabbit hunting thick stuff. It just needs to be thick enough that you basically can't see more than about 20 yards. And there could be some open patches of stuff in there. Uh, but you want to look for stuff that if you're riding down, say, an access road or a dirt road through the management areas and and you, you see these big, huge pine trees, and there may be a scattered oak somewhere in through there, but mostly it's pine. And they're about the right size for a climber. Uh, just look at the ground cover. If you can't see more than 50 feet through or something, then that's kind of cover that the deer will will actually go to, you know, to, to stay out of the way. As long as you can't see the deer from the road or looking through the woods, uh, that type of cover is thick enough. Uh, once you find locations like that, you'll need to get out there in it and, you know, try to find the best deer sign you can, see what part of it they're using more. But the best places that I that I rattle in are, are really, really thick. I mean, the deer can actually be under the stuff while I'm in the tree and I can't see them below me. So uh, it's, it's really thick on the better places, but, but it don't have to be that thick. Uh, so let's get into the calling then uh, with, with Jacob's question that I interrupted. 
Yeah, so kind of, kind of back to that question, you know, since you do implement blind calling, it you know, for a guy like myself who just doesn't have a lot of confidence in it, even though I'm going to try to implement it this weekend, both grunting and rattling, what – how do you know – or? How do you know if you're calling too much? Is there such a thing, in your opinion, when it comes to rattling? And, you know, how do you know if you're doing it too much? And how do you kind of, uh, you know, maximize the efficiency when you are, you know, rattling and you're trying to draw in a deer uh, from, you know, greater distances? Man, it's it's really crazy. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to explain. But, um, I mean, you're going, you're going to be making so much noise that every animal within several hundred yards of you is going to hear what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy to go out there and think that you can make that kind of noise and actually attract deer. But I don't know. I, I, I've learned to, um, well, I learned just by experience, first of all, about how often how often I go through a rattle sequence. And let's just start with that. Um, my, my rattling sequence probably is going to be less than five minutes. Uh, just because I'm I'm sitting there so afraid that that there's already a deer looking at me before I get through, but and and ain't no telling how many have come up and saw me, you know, and, and left out that I never saw. Uh, but it just seems to me like whenever uh, when I first started calling and learning a little bit about the rattling, it just seems to me like. If you the sound's getting far enough away from you, and it, and it all depends on terrain and and how thick you are and the wind blowing and everything, it's got a lot a lot to do with everything on how far sound travels. But but on average, I would think that you know everything within three or four hundred yards of me is going to hear me about any time I rattle. So, in order for a deer to travel from let's say four hundred yards to get to me or to where I can see him. Uh, now deer, sometimes they will wide open, but most of the time they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be moving slow. They're gonna stop and look and listen a lot on the way in. And I just figure it's gonna take probably 30 to 45 minutes for a deer to get actually from, from the outside of my sound range over to where I'm at. So, so each sequence is gonna be between 30 and 45 minutes apart and and I'll start when I get there whenever it gets light enough that I can see because you need to see all you can uh, but whenever it gets light enough to, to see I'll start then and, and I'll do that sequence you know set in one tree all day long and uh, and do it every 30 or 45 minutes the times that I have rattled, uh, after one or two sequences, I'm like, I feel like I'm doing more damage than good. Um, have you noticed, like, have you noticed ever scaring deer from rattling, whether it's does or young bucks or anything in general? Yeah, I've run them off before. It's like, like Jeff was talking about the grunt calling. Uh, you can run them off, no doubt about that. And that, that's what, you know, while I'm doing that rattle sequence and stuff, you know, I'm do, I'm using the grunt call uh, at the same time. And um, it's it's really hard to sit there and, and try to duplicate a fight that may take five or ten minutes. I mean, I've, I've never really heard deer, I mean, I've heard deer fighting, but as far as hearing the whole sequence of their fights, you know, I don't know how long they lasted. Just from what I can tell and what I think, you know, deer are probably not going to fight no more than 
just a few minutes, you know, five minutes or under. Uh, mainly because uh, these deer already know each other. They they pretty much know what's out there, just like you know we know our families. I mean, they live with each other, you know, all year long. So so whenever they hear a fight or they they potentially know which two deer it is already unless there's just a strange deer come in and that's and that's really the best case scenario because bucks do travel a lot i think i've heard or read before that they'll travel up to 10 miles during the rut one thing i think we ought to kind of mention is you know both you know jeff and, and you adrian both of y'all have kind of uh, you know pretty different styles of hunting i know jeff you're very much so specifically trying to target one deer you know, using trail cameras to backtrack him to his bedding area and, and try to ease in on him. So I can see calling probably isn't as big of an issue or as big of a necessity for you because you're you're very much looking for that one deer and you're almost trying to slip in there nice and quietly and just try to get him to come by. Am I correct there? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. You know, that's why I was saying I don't do a whole lot. It's just certain times of the year. And, you know, my thought on rut is me hunting one particular deer you know when i say one particular i usually try and get uh three bucks on my hit list and depending on whether is which one wind or whatever which one i go after but i'm usually hunting that particular buck so it's not as much that i'm trying to get more to come in there and the part about that is is like say you know where he's at you know where he's coming and you spend that extra time but just the overall calling I, I don't do as much as some other people you know try to call for that particular reason yeah and but another they, thing you know just about your style of hunting you haven't uh the, i guess that big eight point you, you killed was that during the rut at that time frame was that or is that uh before that was on the 16th of january and that was right when they they start, I call pre-rut, around 5th, 6th, where I hunt at. And they start getting really started around the 20th, somewhere around there. So it was right before. But, you know, with me hunting one particular buck all the time, I try and get those deer before rut. You know, because once rut starts, that deer, ain't, I ain't guaranteed to see that deer. Like, you know, Adrian said, he, he may be two miles down the road. So I, I try and do a lot of my hunting before, you know, try and take certain deer before rut just for that purpose. But I, I still, if I haven't had them or, you know, took, taken them by that time, that's when I start using my calls and stuff like that, you know, try and give me a little bit better chance when the does do start. Oh, it was just last year, you know, I, I tagged out on January 10th, you know, well before our rut even started. But that was my goal, you know, every year is to try and do that because that's, to me, that's the best chance I got to kill those particular deer that I'm hunting for. Yeah, and well, especially being on a place like where you hunt, which is extremely, extremely high pressure, especially come the rut. Uh, it seems like everybody and their mother, uh, that, that one Facebook page for that that uh, that property you hung on blows up uh, come January from guys, you know, traveling out there and doing hunts. So. You know, I guess getting those deer killed early definitely gives you a, a leg up. Not only to kind of take some stress off, but you can kill these really good deer early on and not have to worry about so many other guys chasing them during the rut. Because didn't you have one deer last year that got killed when it was kind of roaming from by someone else? Last year, uh, no. 
But I did have one. Uh, two, well, two of two of the deer I killed last year. I, I there was people that hunted both sides of where I was at, and I was like in between them. And they were the both those bucks were running the edges between those uh, the bottoms that these guys were in. But other, you know, yeah, just you. running up on me, or you know, pushing them on me. I, I hadn't had any of that because I, I hunt where it's thick and a lot of people don't like it i'll tell you that's definitely the case and that's a common theme we've seen with a lot of guys we've had on like both you all i mean both both you guys are hunting extremely thick areas uh like adrian like you were saying when you were when i was with you this uh i guess it was the summer early fall we won that hog hunt man some of the places you took me to just driving the roads and talking about like how thick some of those areas are like you try to get in i mean it's like ridiculously thick i, mean, I told andrew that and it's like you can't even comprehend like listeners can't even comprehend how thick some of those areas are because i can't imagine i mean a lot of those areas it seems like you're gonna have to wait until after a couple hard frosts before you get in there just because how much vegetation is i mean it's a, literally a wall at the road i mean you can't see into it at all and right. uh you know it's, it's fascinating to say the least and that's where you can have some success calling in those deer in those areas yeah and i'm um, talking about uh seeing those places from the road you know um you know i told you about my back injury and it's it's really helped me up a lot on on how i hunt so i had to start learning to try to find easier access and actually hunting a lot closer to the road most of the time uh you can still find those places along the roads you know if you know what to look for and then you know, get out there and do a little scouting around, see if you can find some, you know, some, some mature buck sign. But uh, I've noticed just over the last couple of years, and especially, you know, now since we're doing these podcasts and everything's going more public about how some of us have been having our success over the years, you know, we're going to have so many more people in there that's going to be using the same type of terrain that, that we're killing deer in. Uh, so now, not only am I having to uh, find a place, I'm actually having to, to think about what other hunters are going to be looking at and where they're going to be, and I'm actually going to have to be going in even further or either on back behind where, they, where they're going to be going in. I'm not trying to cut them off. It's just that's where the deer is going to be pushed to. Uh, like today, you know, I ended up walking uh, on that scouting trip. Uh, I ended up probably made about a three or four-mile circle but uh, I was actually probably over a mile back and behind some uh, real thick stuff. And I know that that's probably what I'm going to end up having to do is, which, which I got to have somebody with me to, to help get a deer out of there. Um, uh, so I've got some, I've got some friends that I hunt with and we, we talk a lot and hunt, hunt some of the same public land together. So anytime we need help, we just call on each other. But, but yeah, man, you just have to, uh, you can you can kill those you can kill five-year-old deer within side of the road i mean there's no doubt about that i killed one last year uh, i didn't age his teeth I, I just took his head off and was gonna get it european mounted and i never cut his mouth open or anything but i was guessing he's probably four and a half and uh, a friend of mine is actually doing the european mount for me and he aged it at five and a half so but that deer was uh actually where i sat on that spot um, i have to use a range finder or an app to tell how far i'm from the road to make sure i'm at least at 100 yards and uh that deer was killed at, at about 110 yards off the road last year and and he was walking toward the road so i mean i had to hunt him back there where it's legal and um and then 
you know, another another five-year-old deer, same case. Uh, you know, he, I try to target anything three and a half and older, but I've killed so many three and a half-year-old deer that uh, I ain't gonna say that I'll shoot three of them this year. But uh, my goal this year, for my personal goal, is to try to try to tag out on all three bucks this year, and I hadn't done that since they started to limit. Uh, so that's that's what I'm shooting for this year, and and I may end up shooting from three and a half if I just you know I enjoy the I enjoy the hunt. You know, if there's a there's a decent deer coming up there, and and I've had you know called him in or whatever you know and i feel like feel like taking him i'll take him man but i'm just looking uh you know like jeff's targeting one deer i'm just looking for you know a decent deer i mean i, I don't never have targeted one deer and I, I understand man that takes that takes some dedication to target one deer i can promise you that so the next thing that i really want to get into is uh like a like a calling setup like uh, what it, what it looks like where where you're set up like what do you want behind you what do you want in front of you stuff like that and we'll uh, start with you Jeff uh, when you when you have decided that you want to call what do you want your setup to look like like what is your perfect setup you know I don't change too much from year to year you know it, it, it all depends on your hunting pressure you know like I say once rut starts people start being in the woods a little bit more so you do have to kind of change your locations to make up for that but i still i like to sit with my back to the hardwoods facing the thicker stuff because i know that's where they're going to come out that's where they're going to come up to the edge they're going to check up and that's I, I, that's what i've got to have my back's going to be to the hardwoods and i'm going to be facing the thicker stuff or edges where old roadbed used to be and it's that that's where I have my most success. You know, I, I really don't change too much from rut to, you know, any other time of the year as far as my locations. It just at those times I start trying to, you know, use my grunt call. And again, I don't rattle that much because I'm kind of like Jacob with it. You know, it's, it's sometimes I think I'm doing more harm than good, but I will use it. You know, I have seen deer come to it, but you know, my grunt call you know i'm going to use that pre-rut but it's it's me facing that thick stuff you know that's that's where the deer are going to be at i have no i have noticed this year where i hunt there's the last couple of years i don't had like one person on my camera this year i've already had five different people and i don't know you know i guess they're catching on to the edges and stuff which is fine I like it. You know, it gives me more of a challenge to try and take those steer before anybody else does. Adrian, I want to throw that same question at you. What does what does that calling setup look like for you? During the rut, I'm I'm pretty much or any any time of the year really, unless unless this time of the year, you know, they're they're coming out more in the opening because that's where your hardwood is dropping acres and stuff. But my rattling and calling sequences is always going to be either right next to but more than likely right in the middle of the thickest stuff you can get um i want i want it so thick that that a deer is literally going to have to walk 20 foot from the tree to see if that was actually a deer that he heard so he's gonna he's gonna have to come all the way to me to, to actually see where i'm at sounds a lot like the turkey hunting yeah you don't yeah that's about right you want you want to get the turkey up close as you can get and that's that's why i'd I mean, I, I don't necessarily have to get the deer up that close. It's just I have to be in thick enough stuff that that they'll respond to come that you know that far over to me. 
uh, but you want you want the you want the ground cover to be so thick that they're gonna have to come to you to, to see what's there. I, I've learned through the years by mistakes, just like the first thing I was telling you about doing that bleak call and how those boats come to me out of the cordwoods. You know, once they could, once they got to the point that they could see that there wasn't a fawn being hurt there, then they turned and went away. But same thing, same thing with rattling. Uh, if they can see where you're or these two bucks are supposed to be um, if they can see that point right there that's as close as they're going to come unless they actually see two deer fighting so you're going to have to get it thick enough that they're going to have to come over over to you and uh, present you a shot uh, they won't they will not come in if they can see that area Uh, well, most of the places that I'm hunting is a lot of terrain feature anyway. Um, like I said, I hunt, I hunt national forests. I'm, I live in Bibb County, so I'm hunting, you know, the old division of national forest. So, about uh, as ever been down knows what kind of terrain features are there. So, it, it's all kind of, all kind of hills and valleys, mountains, every which way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I set up in, in all type of terrain features. Not not necessarily looking for that, but you know, it, it would help. And if you were uh, if you had some valleys or something around and the woods were open, well, I can actually remember one one seat I did. Uh, it was a Papa man years ago, and I caught buck in over there. And it's based on terrain features alone because I was in open hardwoods and I heard him hunting over the hill from where I was at another holler, and. Uh, I used that terrain feature. He had to come over the hill to be able to see where I was at. So, so yeah, the, the terrain feature too. But the thing about terrain features, if uh, if that's all you're biting your setup on, then you're probably not going to have a tree deer there anyway because he's not normally going to be walking in an open woods. Yeah. So, like, if at all possible, you always want to couple those two things together. Yeah. The reason I ask that is because I've heard people talk about. Uh, like setting up with a bluff or like a river or some some like feature to their back to make sure that a buck can't swing around them, which makes me wonder, uh, do, you, do you often like have bucks trying to swing downwind to try and figure out what you are? They always come from downwind. They initially come in from any other direction just to come with the sound. But, um, they will uh, come from downwind once they make their boots up closer to you. Uh, they're gonna hear hear your rattling, so that gets their attention. And um, if they can't see you because you're sitting in thick cover, or you know, they're gonna have to come to to that point to see you. So if they're coming in already, heard the sound, they got to come in to see you. Uh, but first, they're gonna, uh, like I said, they might come from upwind, sideland, whatever. But when they make their final approach coming toward you, they're going to come from downwind uh, almost 100% of the time. And uh, at that point is, is the point that I try to indicate the, the sense of uh, the smell of deer. And uh, I use, uh, when I can, and times every year, I use natural glands and I actually collect the, the pee out of the deer that I kill. If I haven't killed one, I get it from somebody else's deer. 
and I like I like getting the natural wind and pee off the you know, freshly harvested deer from a different area because that's a that's going to be a sand that the dominant bucket area is not familiar with and he's definitely going to come in there you know teed off of that. and uh i use i use that i've never really tried using two different natural glands you know two bucks i try that um uh, but i've always used a you know uh, the active scrape made wildlife research i use that as uh, one of my scents and and then also use that natural gland because I want I want to, try to duplicate the, the exact same, and everybody knows the nose that you're a fool. So, you know, if you just use one scent, uh, unless you say you use, I mean, I'm, any of them, let's just say tanks. If you use tanks, you know, bucks or whatever, I mean, I don't know what kind of smells in those bottles, but. To me, it would be kind of a different one single deer. And uh, if you're going to put on a buck fight, you know, it probably needs to smell two different deer there. So that's the reason I use the, the act scrape and the natural gland together. Yeah, that actually brings up a listener question that someone wrote in uh, for this podcast. Um, uh, we wanted to ask you guys about like lures and, and deer urine and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so Jeff, what is your take on, you know, over the counter deer, deer lures versus like, you know, getting your own versus, or, or kind of like what Adrian was saying, like getting your own, or do you use that kind of stuff at all? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I was first saying it, I'll say this before I even get started on this one. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying anybody does anything wrong, how they just or use scent or anything like that, you know each their own you gotta be comfortable in what you're doing but with that being said me again you know i, I try and hunt with my back to hard woods and fake the thick stuff so if a deer tries to get around behind me when you know to come with me i normally see it because i gotta come in them hard woods to get behind me mm-hmm. so i'm not i'm not as big on scent if i kill a buck i will cut his glands off and use those for a deer too but as far as really buying over-counter, I may buy some and try right in the middle of root. I really ain't big on sense for the fact that I try not to present anything else. My thought on that is if every place that you go, whether it's South Alabama, Mississippi, anywhere like this, again, this is just personal opinion. You know, you have different makeup in the ground, you know, different soil, um, PAs, and, you know, how is uh, a deer pee from Arkansas going to smell like a deer pee from Alabama? That's how I look at it. So I'm not very big on uh, using any type of scent. I, I just like to keep it uh, less intrusive, I guess, is what I would say. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not big on those at all. Adrian, I think yeah, at some yeah, point. Let me, let me emphasize, too, I'm not a scent person either. Um, and the only time I do use scent is just for rattling. Um, I'm, I'm like Jeff. I, I, I'm very cautious about any kind of scent at all, you know. So, um, I mean, I, I'll use, a, you know, like a scent away 
scent eliminator. I'll use stuff like that, but as far as actual scents, I don't use scents at all. Um, if I use any type of cover scent, it may be pine, green pine needles that I pulled off a tree and wiped on me or something, but um, I don't want any sand in the woods at all. Uh, and the only reason I do use what I do is because I've got to duplicate or replicate that fight. Yeah, Adrian, didn't I, I don't know if we talked about this when we recorded with you, but I might I might have just been on the phone with you sometime talking about this. But didn't you tell me that you you've had a lot of like just mixed results with like uh, like your over the counter deer urine attractants, uh, where some of them would just scare the crap out of deer, and then maybe other times it would work. Uh, I don't know that I've ever used any that just scared them or anything. Uh, I have used different different brands, you know, in my rattling sequences. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've uh, the other other than what I've used now, I've never had any results out of it. I'm not saying that it don't work, but the, and the only reason I use the one that I mentioned, the actor scrape, is because you know I'm, I have I've stuck my nose in plenty of scrapes to smell of them, see what they smell. And I smell plenty of deer. And that active scrape resembles the smells that I can smell better than any of them that I know of. And I'm not trying to actually, the active scrape actually smells more like a fresh scrape, fresh urinated scrape than than it does a, a actual deer pee. I mean, it's kind of, a, kind of a difference, you know. If you're smelling the pee, it's probably going to have a little ammonia smell to it. Uh, but, but that store-out active scrape scent. It don't have it don't have that kind of smell. It's more like I think somebody might have been y'all mentioned or somebody out last few days talking about a barnyard smell. Yeah, it just me. smells odor or something. You know? mm-hmm. About like what a, a musty deer would smell like. It's kind of that kind of scent, you know. It's not one of them that that just makes you cringe when you stick your nose in a bottle of it. So, uh, but it's actually, you know. It's more, it smells more like a, a actual scrape or, or an actual deer to me. And then uh, with the natural gland, I mean, you can't beat that. So uh, basically, it's probably going to smell more like a, a natural deer gland, maybe not as strong. Yeah. Now, I got to ask this because we've had people ask about it, and I think it's it's an interesting subject. But what are your thoughts about like peeing in the woods, like peeing out of your stand or peeing in scrapes or whatever? And I wasn't even going to bring the, this topic up here, but since you <laughs> <laughs> let me, nobody knows this but me, and now uh, probably the world's fixing to know it now. But <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, let me tell you, I've heard both ways. I've heard people peeing in scrapes. I've heard people peeing in these don't matter. Uh, and I have never noticed it bothering me any if I've been out of the stand or whatever. And, you know, years ago when I was first, you know, bow hunting, especially because you're right on top of your deer, so you got to do everything you can to stay, you know, scent free. So, I, you know, I went to to stand with a bottle, you know, so I used a bottle to, to pee in it. Uh, this year changed my whole mind. Uh, I told you I've only been bow hunting three times this year. Mm-hmm. The place that I'm, like I said, again, I'm, I'm, uh, looking back on some public land on 
for early season. So I'm having having to actually get out and find locations that that has decent deer on them this time of the year because. You know, it's been a long time since I've hunted public land strictly, especially in the early season. So I'm in a new location this year, several new locations. I'm, I'm continually scouting. And it's just a little bit familiar with. I've looked at it and hunted a few times over the last two or three years. I found enough good buck sign in that area that uh, I know that there's some decent deer in there. And there's one particularly really good one. So, so I go to that place this year. This is about uh, retro season come in, and the first sit, I'm uh, I'm sitting on some bacon trees, just up out of a bottom that's really thick, and I sit there. I got there just after daylight. Like I said, I don't walk in the woods too much before daylight. Um, I'll. If I get to my location, I may. If I'm going a long ways, I may use a flashlight to get out to where I'm going. But when I get into my hunting area, I'm waiting on daylight to work and see how to walk. Um, but I get to the spot, you know, right after daylight, get set up in the tree, and I sit there until one o'clock, and I haven't seen a deer. At one o'clock, I look behind me, and I'm sitting on some acorn trees, and I see a deer or. or through the, I'm, up, I'm up above the canopy, so I can't hardly see down there where they're coming from. And uh, so I see a deer through the, through the cracks of the leaves, and I kept looking, you know, I stood up in my stand, and I'm bending every which way trying to see through these leaves, and I noticed there was a buck. Well, I sat there a few minutes, and then I noticed another buck down there, and they're about probably 75 yards away from me. And I know they're going to feed up to where I'm at because the tree that I was sitting on was the was their primary tree, although there's several of them dropping there. I know this one here is being used more. So I'm sitting there and uh, so I'm looking up through there, looking looking behind me down there and uh, I'm on the side of this big hill, it's kind of steep. At one o'clock in the day, and I know there's two bucks there, both of them with racks on. I, I couldn't see them good enough to give you an age on them, but, but I can tell you I would have definitely shot them if they were uh, so I'm sitting there and I see these two. Well, I had peed out of my stand that morning. And I had, like I said, I had never had that, never noticed that it affected anything. And the wind had been coming up that hill all morning. Well, the wind just died down all of a sudden. And the deer actually got up to about 40 yards from me. And I was still just picking them out through the leaves. And I was about, they were getting close enough, I was fixing to start ranging them, looking for an opening to get a shot. And I noticed them get alert. Well, that wind quit blowing, and I dropped some uh, scent checkers down, and, and the air current actually turned and went right back down the hill. I hadn't done that all day long. And those deer smelt something. And I think I was high enough on that tree I was probably 45 feet high. Uh, I don't think they smelt me. I think they smelt that pee. And they busted and run back out of there. And whenever they took off, there were two more with them, even bigger than the two that I saw. And I said, I'll never again pee out of a tree. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Jeff, what about you? What, what are, you got a pee story? Man. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, I... I 
I, I pee out the tree if it out of necessity. I'm not gonna carry a bottle with me. I just I don't know if it's lazy, but I I, I change my eating and drinking habits during hunting season. I usually lose about 25 pounds for the fact that I don't eat as about once a day, once one meal a day. And when I'm hunting, I may drink a 20 ounce bottle of fluid for the entire day. I'm Just sorry. so I don't, so I don't have to go to the bathroom. But I have had, I have peed on the ground and two hours later, does come through there. So, I mean, it's out of necessity. I'm not going to climb down and go somewhere else and, you know, call it a day. I'm just going to do what I got to do. It just, I, it, and like I say, I usually hunt with my back, you know, wind blowing in my face and back to the hardwood. So if somebody circles around me, I, I should be able to see them before they get that far. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a, if I got to go, I'm going. I'm not, I'm not holding up. That's yeah. well, yeah, man, I, Man, when I'm in the woods, I ain't gonna pee unless I'm peeing in a scrape. I don't know why. It's just, <laughs> it's just a habit. Of... <laughs> I've never noticed it affected me until this year, until just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, well, if you pee in a scrape, what would be the difference of peeing on the ground in front of you? Yeah. Yeah, I used to run a lot of cameras on that, but I, I mean, I've really slacked off of my cameras in the last two years. I really need to get them back going. But I would love to do like a, I'd love to have like 15 trail cameras and put them on a bunch of scrapes and put like, like some kind of, I don't know, maybe some kind of lure in one of them and then just pee in the other ones and see which ones do better. But that'd be interesting. But uh, anyways, uh, Jacob, you got anything you want to jump in with? Not necessarily in the year. And I will say though, I, I believe... I, I, I think it's like this in all cases. And Jeff, you just mentioned like you kind of change your diet and everything. You know, I feel like your urine definitely, like when it comes to peeing in the woods, it's kind of weird we're talking about all this, but I feel like <laughs> it, it's a direct relation of what you're eating. So if you're eating stuff that's probably like really high in fats or really high in carbs, I feel like maybe it's giving off a different smell, like the urine than, you know, whatever else. But I know like when I was in Tennessee last week, or not last week, but the last time I was up there, and uh, saw that big deer. I peed out of that tree like I think twice. Right, is the evening sit? I peed out of it twice. I just had drank a lot of water, uh, and uh, dude, I got down, and I was like, Jesus, what is that smell? <laughs> and it, dude, 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 it literally was like where I had peed. I was like, God, and it made me think. I'm like, if I was a deer walking through the woods, and I got a big whiff of that, dude, I don't know if I would be very inclined to keep walking towards it. I'm well, gonna, that's, that's what happened to me this year, man. Whenever I got down out of the tree that evening, or, or actually, I stayed there till two o'clock. The deer come out at one. I stayed till two because I knew the currents were going to start dropping back down there, and I I don't like busting deer out of the bottom, so I so I left at two. But when I got out of the tree, I smelled that that pee on the leaves or something there around me, and I was thinking that they had to smell that, and I could smell it, so. We are breaking ground here on this podcast because I'm pretty sure we're the only people that have ever discussed what your pee smells like and whether or not and why it smells like that. We're this is some scientific stuff right here, boys. I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, I literally i change i change my diet to the point I I don't drink alcohol during hunting season. Uh. I don't eat spicy foods just for the fact that I don't eat but once a day. So if I eat spicy foods, it 
you know, it's going to tear your stomach up. So and I, I really do an extensive change on my diet. You know, I eat a little bit lighter foods. And like I say, I, I, now I'm going to drink my Dr. Pepper and an energy drink. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I really do. I mean, now when I get home at night, I'll drink a couple of, you know, Arctic, 30 ounce Arctic cups full of liquid, you know, because I got to get back hydrated a little bit. But then the next morning, I'm done till the end of the day. It's just, it's just something I do. And I ain't, I ain't, I'm not promoting other people to do that. It's just something that I do that way. I'm, I'm less likely to have to go when I'm in a tree. I do the same thing, man. I, I take care of my business while I'm not in the woods. I mean, I try to do that. Yeah. And this, this seems like, like to some people listening, this might seem like kind of a silly discussion, but I mean, when you're talking about hunting the rut where, you know, it comes down to just being in the woods for as many minutes as possible or where anything can happen throughout the day, I mean, it really does make a difference. I mean, the whole thing is based off of scent pretty much the whole rut and sound. So probably more scent than it is sound. So, mm-hmm. so all that matters. Yeah. Um, Jacob, you got anything else well, here? One thing, yeah, yeah, one thing I was thinking, I'm like, when guys are talking about sitting in a tree all day long, if you have to sit in a tree all day long and you're packing water, you're peeing, dude, it's got to stink underneath that tree, dude. I mean, again, it may or may not affect the deer. I have done it before. And you get down and you're like, dude, it is, I mean, it's it's bad. I mean, it is the, the ammonia, especially if you're dehydrated. I mean, it is very, very stout. In the, and my thing is, I don't know. I don't think I can ever recall like hundred percent the deer busted me because I truly believe it smelled, you know, my urine. But I definitely don't think it's necessarily helping, you know, when when you're just kind of coating at the base of your tree, you're trying to pee off, you know, off your platform or off your tree stand. Um, I don't think it's necessarily an advantage. <laughs> so uh but I've also heard from other people that uh, you know, I don't know if they've ever done studies on, it, but you know, supposedly urine's urine. The only difference is is the hormones that are in the urine that's getting passed at that time of the year uh, from, you know, of course, deer and everything else off their glands, um, which will, you know, change it. But I've heard people say, you know, urine's urine, you know, when it comes to just doing that, there's not a huge difference across the board. But again, if I was walking through the woods, this is me, you know, thinking I was a deer, which is probably not accurate at all. If I came up and smelt something like that and, I didn't, you know, I just see not great. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Jacob, <laughs> man, what have you been I mean, eating and drinking, man? Yeah, I think I'd be inclined. Leave it, Jake, hey, Jake. <laughs> Leave it, Budweiser at home, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ty, listen, Tyler, in the last podcast, we're talking about something. I, I got tongue tied or something. He's like, drink you another one. I'm like, Bud, easy there. Come on. <laughs> Man. By the way, Miller High Life. By the way, guys. There you go. I'm drinking water because I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta go kill me a deer here pretty soon. I gotta kill one before. I'm. I'm really sore that I let that one walk today. So now I'm out for blood. But uh, anyways, um, what what have we not covered here as far as far as like rut hunting tactics or calling tactics at least? I guess one thing that yeah, one thing I think we need to cover. Uh, both. Jeff and Adrian, I want y'all to kind of go through calling sequence. Uh, Adrian, I want you to go first with your rattle bag and kind of show us, 
you know, how do you get started when you when you're starting a rattling sequence? How does it start, and then kind of take us through like a short progression of what does that normally sound like to you? Uh, well, I, again, I just try to think about what actually is going on. You know, I mean, the best way to do that is watch a video, so you kind of get an idea of what deer are actually doing when you hear these sounds. Um, but the very first thing I do. Uh, which is after I get seated, you know, which is no different than any other hunt. You know, I let the wood settle back down, you know, and get back to normal. You know, sometimes it may take 30 minutes and sometimes maybe an hour, I don't know. But you can tell, you know, when the wood settled down, everything's getting right again. And, um, but the, after I've already scanned everything that I can, uh, like I said, I'm hunting in thick stuff, so it's hard to see anyway, but uh, I've scanned looking at every direction I can. Uh, but I'll start off with a, a low grunt call, uh, and it'll just be one one solid grunt. It won't be multiple grunts or different tones or anything. Just a short one or two second grunt call. And all I'm doing then is just trying to get a deer to move or something if it is something around me close. And then uh, then I'll wait, you know, wait about ten minutes or something to do another one. And I'm just trying to ensure that I'm not missing one standing somewhere close to me because once I start that rattling, I mean, they're going to look directly straight at me. And uh, so I do the do a couple grunts, just individual grunts, you know, place them 10 minutes apart or something to start with. And then I'll stop for another 10 or 15 minutes. And and uh, whenever I start uh, rattling, I mean, doesn't matter whether you're using a rattle bag or antlers or whatever, but uh just just my opinion on sounds the first sound that you're going to hear is going to be you know the two deer when they first first hit each other with their antlers you probably it's probably going to be the more the louder sound that you'll hear the rest of the rest of the fight is pretty much going to be grinding antlers instead of the initial clash of them together so the so the first thing would be you know to to make a, a kind of a, the loudest clash that i can make with this rattle bag anyway and then follow up with just a, a few, you know, at, the, at, at that point in the fight, the deer just, just now met each other, you know, and they just hit each other. And they're going to probably be working their antlers a little bit more, you know, trying to get a uh, position to, uh, in, in my opinion, a buck fight is more of a pushing match than anything to see which one's the strongest. Uh, so then I'll... I'll uh, start doing more grinding uh, and again I've never heard a whole lot of buck fights so but I, I incorporate a grunt in there with it and actually stick the grunt call in my mouth while I'm rattling you know and the whole time I'm scanning everything that I can look at you know just because you, sometimes they'll come right in sometimes it might take 30 minutes more more likely than not it's going to take them a few minutes to come in and they'll come in after you get through rattling I've never, don't remember rattling and seeing one at the same time. Usually it's when I get through. Uh, and they'll last, you know, I may do it for two or three minutes or I may do it for five minutes, but I hardly ever rattle over five minutes. Most of the time, two or three minutes. But then you get to, a, get, you know, they get to that pushing match and then you just hear an, a sound, you know, a ticking sound every now and then kind of grinding. And then uh, to finish the sequence off, uh, I try to duplicate the sound of a uh, rack sliding across each other. You know, that's where you're going to hear the fine tips on the antlers 
maybe wrecking each other as they broke apart because one of them just gave up and he's cutting out. So uh, that's kind of the sounds I try to make within that, you know, several minutes of rattling. Can you actually, uh, if you have your bag with you, can you actually maybe do that a little bit for us just so we can kind of get an idea of what that actually would sound like, at least with your bag. And again, you know, you, you've told me before, you know, even your bag's not necessarily exactly what you think it ought to sound like, but you've had a lot of success with that bag. Uh, yep. So if you'd like walk us through, I know a lot of guys would rather carry, me included, I'd rather carry a rattle bag in the woods than antlers just because it's a lot more compact. Yeah, that's the reason I do it too. It's just compact. It's easier to deal with. It's, you know, this, uh, I got them in my hand here. I imagine, you know, they're probably about eight inches long and you can actually touch your thumb and finger around it. So uh, that's about the diameter. I'm sure everybody's seen a rattle bag. Um, yeah, I don't know what it's going to sound like. Uh, it was kind of noisy in my house. So I'm actually sitting in my truck while we're talking now. So the sound's probably going to be way off or anything it's not going to sound like that but at least you get an idea what what it, what i do so i'm just gonna i'm gonna do a i'm gonna do about a minute or so how about that yeah i'll, I'll shorten it about a minute and i'll go through the whole sequence okay perfect my go over a minute to be able to incorporate a couple grunts in there or something so i'm just gonna do what i would do when i get there let me let me hit this grunt call out here. <laughs> I'm just trying to get the how much volume I need here. Yeah. I'm gonna set my phone away from me because I know it's gonna be loud in my phone. Okay. Put it in the back seat. Alright, so so the first thing I'm gonna do is gonna be a just a simple grunt. You know, just something to get a deer's attention. <laughs> Then I'll wait, like I said, 10 minutes maybe. Then I'll do it again. Another another 10 minute wait. So now the woods has calmed down. I done checked everything. Uh, I'm ready to start rattling. And they're finishing up fighting. Then I pull my then I pull my safety off. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I, don't pull a, I don't pull a safety off, but that's that's basically what I do. 
So at the end there, it kind of sounds like that's when they're kind of breaking up that last, uh, I don't know, unlocking of the antlers. Yeah, I think yeah, you mentioned. I have, I have took a, I have me a big stick. Sometimes I ride it off the ground. Uh, I have took a big stick before and and uh, just hit the ground like deer hooves running off because you're going to hear that. One of them is going to be running. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good point, man. Um, but the whole time I'm I'm scanning all I can scan, buddy. I mean, just looking everywhere because I'm in thick stuff, and even even uh, one running is hard to see in there. Mm-hmm. I've, had them, I've had them literally. I mean, every year. I, uh, I mean, I have them run straight to the tree. I mean, right up under me. There hadn't been a year went by yet that I hadn't crawled a man like that. And it don't happen every time, but, you know, deer have the same, I mean, I guess, I guess they got different mentalities like we do. Some of them more scared. Some of them, you know, want to be bullied and whatever, but, uh, you just, uh, duplicate that sound and it's two bucks fighting. They're going to be fighting because they, there's a hot dough around. And I believe that's one of the, one of the calling or rattling words. Okay. Now, now I want to definitely hear, uh, Jeff, if you got a grunt call handy, I'd love to hear your grunt call. And I'd like to hear it turned around backwards and, and kind of hear the differences and, and how that sounds. Right. And usually like when I'm calling with my grunt call, I usually will start at one side, my left side, and then move to my right the way it sounds like the you know it's changing directions you know just like a deer would be moving through the woods mm-hmm. and like i say i don't call but maybe three or four times and then that's all i grunt like i say it's i usually when i see them you know it's in a cadence and you know last year i i, I was lucky i got you know, I've seen a couple of fights, but last year, you know, on the SOA, you know, I told y'all about there was that uh, Big Ten and that eight. He, they probably fought for at least 10 minutes, you know, and it was almost steady. But it was like Adrian was saying, you'd have that big clash, and then it was pretty much just hard rubbing. And then and that would go on for over a minute, and then they would separate, and then you'd have that clash again. I mean, it was it was something I've never seen one go on that long. With it uh, regular uh, blowing out, it be the... and to me, it's got a little bit deeper tone when it's like that. But when I turn around and um, suck into it, it's it's a little bit lighter. And I don't know if you could tell the difference in between those uh, two. Oh, yeah. The first one was blowing out, and then the second one was sucking in. It's, it's a totally different tone. And in the woods, it's even lighter because, you know, it's ricocheting off the walls in here. It's a tighter area. But in the woods, you can most definitely tell the difference in the sound. But it's just – and that's about all I do. I, about four times, I may wait 10 or 15 minutes and do it again. But it's just – real light yeah 
Yeah, I heard one last year. I heard a young buck running last year. I forgot to mention this earlier, but he was chasing a doe, and he was, I mean, screaming behind her. I mean, he was grunting so loud, I, I could hear him from 100 yards away. Like, I ranged it. I could hear it 100 yards. And he was grunting so loud, he sound, it sounded like a duck call. Um, so that, <laughs> I mean, man, it, it was it was crazy how loud that thing, which it was like a younger buck. But still, it's pretty cool. And I, I have... I really have never heard like that, like that deep guttural like buck roar. I know I'm sure it happens, but I mean I just I've never heard it before. And I mean I I don't have a wall like you guys have, but I mean I've been around a, a pretty good amount of big deer. I've screwed up a bunch of opportunities, um, but I, I've just I've never heard it. So I think that the the lighter tones definitely make a lot of sense to me. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that anybody, however they do it, is wrong. I, you know, I've just given how I do it. So I don't want nobody thinking that I'm saying deep, loud grunts is wrong by no means. If that's what you're comfortable and you're you're successful with it, by all means, that's what you need to do. Because if not, you're going to be fidgety and you're going to miss. The same here, man. I agree with you. Uh, you just have to try try different things, and once you have success at it, man, it just builds confidence the more you do it, you know. So, you know, I'm not saying what I do is the perfect way either. So, you know, I just do what, what works for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, I think that we've about covered everything. Jacob, uh, do you think we've got everything hemmed up? Kind of going back through some of these questions and just double-checking, make sure there's nothing we left unturned. I know one of the biggest ones was just guys asking about – uh, blind calling. I know that's you know a really hot topic. Just because you know, if you don't already call, I, I definitely feel like um, you, you know you, you're not going to have the confidence to be able to do it, and you're not going to have the confidence to do it probably as much as you probably should. Because I mean, most times, you know, Adrian. I mean, how often do you ever call deer in on the first rattle sequence compared to maybe a couple, you know, two or three down down the line? Honestly, I believe. Uh... In my, my opinion, anyway, if if there's a deer that is callable that will come to a call, I believe uh, once that deer hears it, he's coming. So, uh, it you know, it might happen the first sequence. It might happen the 20th sequence. You know, so I, I, just, I just believe that, that the sounds that I'm making and the setup that I use, if there is a buck, that's interested in a fight he's gonna come so i mean you you know i don't have i don't have success with that every time i go out there by no means i mean i call more than than i have success otherwise i'd be limited out every year but uh, but i only i only do that in the prime time i mean uh once once rut starts you know and, and then you start getting let's just say a fourth of the does are in heat or half the does i haven't had had the success to be able to call a buck away from hot does you need to you need, you need to target those those bucks that are ready to breed and not very many does are ready so at that at that point if you can figure out that time frame, then you're going to have a lot better success and like i said i believe with the sequence that i do if there's a buck in the, in the area here that i believe he's going to come in i don't i don't run around in the woods doing this calling and uh, just because it's public land and and you know, i don't like walking all over everybody else 
but it would be really good to have about a thousand acres to just run here and there you know every 500 yards set up and call and go somewhere else set up and call because i think once you call if they hear it they're going to come and and the reason it may take till one o'clock in the day to get one of them in because he wasn't in the area until then you know one thing i, I definitely want to kind of uh just recap on from just like what we've talked about on the podcast you know it definitely seems like if you're going to call you know set up in a thick area you know you know having one thing we haven't touched i don't think we really dove in super deep unless adrian you said it and i just didn't pick up on it uh but i know jeff you hunt some really nasty thick areas adrian the same way but really having very thick cover at ground level it doesn't have to be overly tall just over a deer's back so that he can't see the base of the tree and if you can do that then he's more inclined to come all the way in, whether you're hunting with a gun or a bow. So you're going to get a much closer shot, but you're also, I'm guessing again, Adrian, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to hold his attention for a longer period of time. If he can't see where that sounds coming from, is that correct? Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll definitely come all the way to the tree. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of time we got right now. I could give you a couple scenarios of, of actual hunts, but how much time are we on now? Yeah, I was going to say, definitely tell us. There was one, I definitely want you to talk about the one uh, you talked about in the last episode where, uh, you know, you had that one across the road just because it's kind of interesting how that happened. But if there's another one you can kind of uh, touch on as well, you know, maybe talk about two different scenarios, that would be fine. Just to kind of show the realism with it and, and kind of understand, you know, what it's like when you're hunting these thick areas and the deer do have to come all the way in to see what's going on. Oh. Uh. I'll give you one one scenario. Uh, there's uh, one particular place that I've had more success than I have any other places on the forest, and I had already already called in and rattled several bucks in, and probably taken a few there. And I carried someone with me one day, and we had to walk in this old logging road. It's it's probably about half a mile off the road. At, at, on this particular hunt, uh, although I've killed deer within 100 yards of the same area off the road, uh, on this one was about a half a mile off the road. And when we went in there, the guy that was with me had never been there. And I actually went in. I had to, I had to walk in further than he did. I set him up to for him to get the shot and let me call for him. And uh, so I set him up and told him, you know, so once it gets daylight, and I, and I hadn't had a tree picked out or nothing. I just, there's plenty of trees there that's climbable, you know, it's pine. And I told him, you know, step out, you know, just get off this road bed, just step out just off the road here and find you a tree right there and climb up and get high as you want to get. I mean, higher the better. I said, because I'm going to go on down the road down here two or 300 yards past you and I'm going to call from down there because that was just the way the wind was that day. And, um, so I, I set him up there and it was 11.30. I had called about every 30, 45 minutes all the way up to 11.30. And I see what I thought was two coyotes running down that roadbed I walked in on. And I'm, I'm about 150 yards off of that roadbed. And this, this is a grown up roadbed with pines growing in it and stuff. And there was, there was one opening that I left that roadbed and walked out to this ridge I was sitting on that I could see through. The rest of the stuff around me is really thick. And uh, so I'm sitting there, 1130, I just got through just got through rattling and see these two, what I thought were coyotes running down this roadbed. 
and I threw my binoculars up on them and realized it's two rack bucks. And those bucks came from up there where my buddy was at, run down the road and turned and and uh, I can't remember. I might have put some. I seem like I did put some uh, some of that scrape sand in into a scrape that was up there on the road. And then I put a little bit on the tip of my boot, or actually what I do is dump it in the scrape and then just step in it and get that sand on my foot and then walked on in. But anyway, those bucks ran all the way down that road and turned and came straight in where I walked in there and stopped at 100 yards. And at where they stopped at, they could see to where I was at. And so I think that's important to, to note there. That's, once they got to that point, they could see that they should be deer fighting there. And they both just froze up right there. And um, both of them uh, was nice eight points. Uh, I killed the first one. And the other one just stood there broadsided, man. And uh, I let him go on. Um, but that was at 1130. And I had rattled since daylight. And anyway, I get back up. I, well, I actually walkie-talkied my buddy. Asked him, did he see those deer? And he said, no. I said, man, they came straight under you. He said, I got down and moved because I didn't like the location. I said, dude, you should have sat there. <laughs> but but they actually came right under where he would have been if he had been there. But uh, I killed that one. I don't know how many times I've heard that same statement. I didn't like it, so I moved. Man, I tell you what, uh, if uh, somebody tells you to sit somewhere, sit there. Jeff, you just mentioned, like, you know, how many times you've heard, like, you didn't like a spot and they kind of just left. Uh, I know you, the first time we had you on, that was one thing I got out from you was, you know, you're consistently trying to hunt areas. Again, like Adrian, Adrian, you're the same way, where it's so thick, most guys don't feel comfortable, even especially during rifle season, because they want to see super, super far. They want to get in those big, beautiful hardwood drainages, and they want to be able to shoot 100 yards or more, where, you know, you're having more success in those very tight-knit little areas which, I mean, I think can do two things for you. You know, if you do if, – if, if a guy does want to hunt somewhere like that, I feel like maybe calling would be, you know, more uh, successful, kind of like Adrian, what you're doing. But also your hunting areas that most guys aren't going to feel comfortable hunting, especially come gun season. You know, most states right now, Georgia's already open, uh, you know, firearm season. Uh, Tennessee opens this weekend for muzzleloader. Alabama's, you know, muzzleloader opens like in a week and a half or something like that. Um Mississippi's kind of the same way, you know. If, if I guess if you're willing to dive into those thick, nasty little holes, you know, with a gun, I feel like you possibly can get away from a lot of hunting pressure because more guys are going to want to kind of get out in the open, which should, I mean, help you. I think even more so, be able to call in those deer because they're maybe not used to having hunting pressure in there, especially in calling pressure. Adrian, I'll give you, give of, a, I'll give you a scenario last year on that. What you're talking about there. I hunted an area last year that I went to on the forest during doe days, and I, I can't remember exactly, but I think I killed five deer in, in six days there. Uh, they, I was watching vehicles go by me all day long, every day, and I sat in a different location every day. I never hunted the same spot the next day, uh, but I was within probably a half a, half a square mile. And it's a really, really pressured place on the National Forest. And I really didn't know there was that many people that used the land. Uh, I hadn't been in there in years. I just had a buddy with me that I was trying to put him on some doe meat. 
So if I carried him over there and I set him up where I normally hunted, and I hunted that week, I just hunted around him. And uh, but I would find the thickest, nastiest stuff that I could find right there, and just go out there and you know you could find trails once you get out in it, and find out you know get out there on a small ridge or a little finger or something that's going to give me just a little bit more advantage of seeing into this stuff, and sit and watch vehicles go by all day. And there was actually four or five vehicles within a quarter of a mile from me, maybe within a few hundred yards of me, all every day. And these guys are sitting all around me hunting, and, and I'm sitting there watching multiple deer every day. And, I'm, and I was choosy about what I, what I killed that week. I was looking for meat, so I'm looking for something to fill my freezer with. And, um, and luckily, uh, I had never hunted that place for bucks, but I'd run across a, a scrape line and some, and some big rubs that week. And, um, and like I said, I hunted, that five, I hunted it there five days and killed four deer and went back in there one evening with my son-in-law just showing him the area we had 45 minutes before dark and he says we're here already why don't we just hunt and i said well all right we can do that and i said i'll set you up over where i think that buck's coming out at on the end of that scrape line so i set him up over there and i said i'll just go back over and sit where my buddy's been sitting all week and, you know he, he sat on the ground all week and so he had deer alerted over there so i said i'll just sit here and wait on him to hunt for 45 minutes I go up there and sat down, a uh, five-year-old eight-point walks out on me 15 minutes later, and he came from the other end of that scrape line. But I'm hunting right there amongst a lot of people, you know, and they're not shooting, and I, and I could shoot every day. So so just because just because you, you're afraid to get out in the thick stuff and not being able to see, it takes about, a, it takes as much land about five foot long and one foot wide for a deer to stand on. And if you're not in the right place, he's not going to be standing there. So, uh, you know, you don't need that 100-yard shot. If, if the deer's not there, you're not going to kill him. Jeff, do you have any thoughts on that? I agree. You know, I've said it all the time, you know, 60, 80 yards. And if you're not seeing deer right there, just move that far. Don't move 200 yards because now you've got a gap in between where you was and where you are that the deer might be moving exactly. you know it's, it's that's the big thing and these guys you know starting to hunt national forest and the wmas and you're talking ten thousand acres thirty thousand acres i mean you could be overwhelmed by that land trying to figure out a place biggest thing that you know i can recommend on that is find you a three or four hundred acres and make on that track and make that your priority for a week or two looking at it and then start spreading out as you start seeing deer in that area start spreading out and looking for deer in those same type uh habitat as you go further out and further out that way you have more knowledge of the area and then you have more opportunities to hunt over the next few years because you found more and more places he's exactly right man uh best best thing i can tell anybody is well, like this, people ask me all the time, you know, I get, get messages and whatever. People ask me, where can I kill a deer? And I'm like, man, you can kill a deer anywhere. Um, literally, you could probably take any 10-acre patch of woods on public land and kill a deer off of it. So just find you a place that you like to hunt, just like Jeff said, and, and spend some time there. And, you know, 
as you're as you're out there and you're you know like like now with me you know i might move i might get down out of a tree just to simplify because the wind blew just a little bit wrong for me and move over 40 feet and you know those those areas i go to that that i probably climb in trees within 200 yards you know just because I've, I've learned to get into the exact spot i need to be in so you don't need you don't have to worry about getting overwhelmed with all this land just find your spot that you like and go spend some time there and 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 i would recommend starting on the downwind side that way you're not getting busted and sanded out of that spot and you can sit there and watch deer for a while and and you know these places and what we do we didn't just learn overnight i mean we've been doing it for years and some of the places we probably go to we've been doing you know going year after year after year and we learn something every year so that that makes the next year even more successful and then like jeff said keep keep venturing out like that and you'll discover a lot more places that that you could have got potential to kill you know a good deer on and and you and you just learn starting at that you know don't expect it to happen in a year uh, you know if you're doing if you're doing what we're talking about doing and hunting around in thick areas and stuff and try to keep from getting busted in there i promise you you'll start seeing deer there and then you'll learn what kind of habitat that they like and the areas that they like walking in and you'll associate that with other places that you've seen and then you go hunt that spot for a while and before long you've got like me right now i could probably put 30 people a day on really good spots this this is like this is so that that's huge what you guys are talking about right now because uh the whole the whole mindset of like breaking down like a large property into manageable sections I think that, and I'm 100% guilty of this myself, this is probably the, the biggest thing holding me back in deer hunting for sure is I suck at narrowing down like big properties because I bounce around so much because, I don't know, I guess I'm indecisive or something. And I've got such this mentality that I want to I wanna be able to go anywhere and kill something where I like basically over the last two years I've failed to like really narrow down like a like a core area that I like to hunt. Uh, so definitely drilling down on one area will not only, I think, help people just learn more about, or help, help people actually kill more deer in the, in the short game, but in the long-term game, actually learn more about stuff. Because, you know, I was thinking about this when I was in the woods today, back when I still lived around Birmingham and I I hunted like one place on this one management area and it was just a couple hundred acres and it's pretty much all I ever hunted. And I remember being back there like years ago and after every hunting season i would look back at the previous hunting season and think about like oh man i don't know why i was doing this i need to change it and do that and and it was like so clear to me what i needed to do to be able to get better the next year and then you know eventually i started moving around living in different places and i kind of lost that because you know moving around i just haven't had time necessarily to narrow down on one place and so now I find at the end of hunting seasons, I don't have that same thing where I can look back and, and like understand an area and know exactly what I did wrong and how to fix it the next year. I always look for the habitat and you got, and deer relate to cover. Just don't ever forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deer has, have cover. I mean, they're going to have to have food and water too, but I mean, I hunt in places that might be a couple miles from water, but the deer are still there. I mean, it don't take, it don't take two minutes for a deer to go a mile. Mm-hmm. You know, how they run through the woods i can i can run 500 yards in 10 seconds the same slot mm-hmm. uh, just find the find some thick cover and just start hunting that and uh you'll you'll find deer 
Yeah, kind of hunt your way through the property, man. Absolutely. Like, like Jeff said, if you don't see deer, man, move. You know, but don't move 200 yards. You know, you might need to move over that little 10 foot ravine that's been blocking your view for every time you sit there. You know, that might be where they're at. Yeah. Me and my buddy Mark talked about this uh, when we hunted together the other day about this whole idea. You know, at, at least my goal for this year is to think about instead of thinking about hunting as an action, I'm thinking about it as a process. So instead of instead of like uh, like a like I'm going hunting, it's it's more of like a, I'm I'm building my knowledge base on something. You're going, yeah, you go and learning instead of hunting. Put it that way. Exactly. So it it's it all it's like a snowball effect. You know, every every hunt you should be learning something and putting it towards your next hunt. And I've been implementing that this year, and I'm. I mean, this year is so much better than last year. I can't even begin to describe, especially these last two weeks. I have been all over. I've seen deer every single sit. So, I mean, I've definitely seen a huge turnaround from it in just, you know, the short amount of time that I've had this mindset. If you'll just take one spot and pick it apart and figure out what those deer, how they use it, then you can relate that spot to other places. And then, you know, you could, you know, I'm sure Jeff probably agree. You could probably, we could probably go to a place we've never been before and still have the same success because we know what we're looking for. So oh, just yeah. find you one spot, learn it, hunt around thickets because that's, that's where they're going to stay, especially when the pressure gets on them. Learn how to hunt that spot, and then you can just ride down the road and see other spots that look just like it, you know, and know I can sit over there and kill a deer. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Jeff. I, funny thing you said that Adrian Jeff talking about uh you know you know implementing the same tactics in other areas and having success you found an area when you came up here and hunt with Andrew last year Jeff uh that I think if you go back in there and hunt it again this year on one of those hunts uh, you ought to kill a freaking big deer in there uh, I, I think you know what I'm talking about that little drainage um down by that creek that you you know you got on some really good buck sign because you're just kind of looking for the edges and everything you liked right yeah it was, if, and if I go back, that's where I'm going to see it. I mean, it was, you know, we hunted early that day, and then I turned around, and uh, Andrew and them had uh, previous plans for the afternoon. I said, I'm here, I'm going to hunt. And I just, like I say, got my phone out, started looking at different places, and I fell off in there, and I mean, there was rubs as big as calves on my legs, and they were made within the past couple of days because they were still had that good, bright, uh, white orange meat showing. Yeah, see, all that stuff's exciting. It's exciting when you've hunted long enough to know what you're looking at. I know Adrian, you had told me when you and me went uh, hog hunting and we were driving around that you know, especially on the national forest, because logging's not as prominent on a lot of that area. Um, you know, you can find stuff on a map and find something 20 miles away on the other end of the national forest that's exactly the same and you can go in there and have success even though you've never you've maybe never been there before yeah, um, I do now man I'm, I'm learning this year uh, i'm going to places i've never been before and and uh, and i still have 100 percent confidence that it's going to work there too so one one thing i'd like to kind of uh one of my final you know kind of questions to wrap everything else up um and this is gonna be both for you jeff and then also you adrian uh, and Jeff, I'll kind of start with you. You know, everybody knows, especially from our episode, our most recent episode, talking about backtracking deer, uh, which has been very, very successful for a lot of our listeners. We've had a lot of listeners actually message us. Had one, actually had two, I think, last night message us. So they killed deer using that tactic. Um, but 
you know, Jeff, kind of give us a little uh, an overview recap of, you know, what tactic, uh, I guess, well, definitely backtracking deer, what gives you the success when you go in the woods, you know what you're doing, you know how you're going to be able to find that deer to go kill him. You know, like I say, when I'm, I'm walking through the woods, I walk fast. I, I'm not worried about oak trees, if they feed none of this one, if they feed none of that one. You know, I start trying to pick out the edges, you know, like say where old rub lines are from last year, the year before, this year. And then you got those little single or, you know, maybe two oak trees, pin oak trees, which is what I, I see them like more where I hunt at. And, you know, start finding those rub lines because like say that normally means there's multiple bucks using there or it's an old buck you know and the bucks like to come through that area so once i find that you know i set a camera up and as the, the buck comes in a certain direction you know at whatever time it is you know i correlate that to which direction i need to go and i just start moving that camera either direction he's going until i get him in light or the direction he's coming from but the big thing is is you got to be patient it's not like you can move your camera 200 yards and keep track of this deer you've just got to move it gradually back until you get to that sweet spot but it's 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 time consuming when you do it but like i say i i get the enjoyment out of killing a deer you know a particular deer hunting one and taking the one that i've spent you know weeks and weeks trying to backtrack yeah and i'll say we had a guy uh actually i think it was on the running gun page mentioned that he was using that tactic from your podcast from your episode uh on a, a it's a big deer on, on georgia public land and he said i think I, th- I think he's moved the camera twice now and both times when he's moved it he's gotten closer to that deer's bed uh which is he's getting you know uh morning early very very early morning photos uh, so I think right now he's right at 45 minutes or to an hour before uh, light is when he's getting that deer on camera. So uh, he said he just moved it back a little bit farther and hopefully he's going to start getting some daylight photos. But I'll say that's definitely pretty exciting. I actually just bought three uh, stealth cams because uh, I want to try to do that a little bit throughout the season here. And I know some areas I probably could have some success. But uh, anyways, it's always a really cool tactic that uh, is interesting, especially when guys decide to implement it. Um and kind of towards Adrian now, you know, kind of give us a little recap too. you know, what, what do you think this season is going to help you be successful? You know, what tactics or what's going to really help you, uh, you know, maybe get, you know, maybe be able to, you know, tag out this year on, on a couple of good mature bucks, you know, what's it going to take for you? Well, it's, uh, it's already taken about, I feel like 300 hours of scouting this summer <laughs> before, before i get into that that part right there let me can i ask jeff a question real quick yeah of course uh, what kind of cameras are you using jeff because i've never used cameras before and and i and i've just got some cheap cameras now it's got the lights on them and i, and I don't like using them because of that I'm, i see the deer get spooked you know the reason i don't use them but what kind of cameras are you using just total blackouts or what no i have uh two wild game uh, I think they're eight uh, megapixels or whatever the, you want to call, and they have the regular red flash on them. Uh, I bought those probably three years ago when I first started just consistently hunting the 
uh, public land. And then I bought a browning. Then I turned around and I won a browning uh, with a big buck contest. So I have two brownings, two older wild game, and then I bought two more wild game this year to replace some older ones that are blackouts. And, you know, I don't see any difference really, you know, from one taking a picture, the deer acting any different than any of the other cameras. And you know, the two I bought this year, they were normally $99 a piece, and I got them on sale for $99 for two. So, you know, I'm, I'm not very choosy. I just don't like them older kind that had the big white bar across it, you know, that had a big bright flash. Yeah. But that's my cameras, they're forums wild game, so I'm not real choosy on the expensive ones. After I listened to your podcast about that, I got interested in trying that your tactic on moving cameras around. But uh, I have got pictures of deer before, and I can see them in motion, you know, running from the flash. I just wonder if you had that experience. And and how do you hang your cameras? Are you hanging them out of a stand or head high or what? Uh, depends where I put them at as far as, say, it's going downhill, you know, a slight uh, incline one way or the other. If it's kind of going up a hill where I'm pointing my camera to, I put it a little bit higher because you can get to what I see sometimes. You'll miss a lot of pictures if it's not in a sweet spot, you know, Yeah. as far as that. But a majority of the time on flat ground, my cameras, I put them about knee high, in between knee high and waist high. Uh, one more question for you. Sorry about this, guys. No, dude, go ahead. I'm interested in Jeff's tactic here. Um, do you put your cameras parallel, facing parallel with the trails, or are you catching them as they walk by sideways? I, mean, I kind of put them at an angle. I don't. I don't point it straight across the trail. I try and point it if I know where the trail is. I kind of point it maybe forty-five degree angle, so I can try and catch them. You know, coming in or going away, I get a little bit more picture range that way. That's what I was wondering. I just wondered if you was trying to face it parallel, you know, facing down the trail or across it. It just at a 45 degree, I, I put it off the trail, usually maybe, you know, 10 yards because most of my cameras are 50 to 80 foot, depending on like the brown and I think it's 80 foot. And I just, you know, I get it off just a little bit so I'm not walking right on that trail, but I, I point it at... 45 degree angle up the trail and across it well just just a tip for you for you guys uh like i said i've never run cameras before other than just you know pre-season or something like on public uh private land where i might have thrown out some corn just to see what deer were there but very little camera action that i've ever had but but this year i bought a i bought a couple of those i think it's tasco brands that uh i ended up paying and with the batteries and the card and everything, forty dollars, and and I'm I'm happy with the cameras. I mean, they work fine. They just don't have a long range. So if anybody's wanting to buy a cheap camera, I mean, they they do work fine. It's not a perfect picture, but and they don't have real long range. But uh, for forty bucks, you can't beat that. Again, this is going to kind of go both to uh, again Jeff and Adrian here. You know, what is a tip? And I'm going to start with I'm going to start with Jeff again. Uh, what What's a tip you'd give? for guys getting ready for the rut, whether, you know, it's one of these states, because we've got a lot of listeners across the country, uh, and I know a lot of listeners are definitely in the rut right now, or it's, I mean, right on the brink of rut. Uh, Jeff, what advice would you give to somebody hunting some public land or some private land 
uh, coming into the rut right now, whether or not they're going to be implementing calling or not, but what's a tip you'd give them to maybe be able to get after a buck uh, maybe they've had on camera or that they know is in the area? If you're getting ready for the rut time, you know, I start changing tactics a little bit. You know, I've said it before, you know, I start getting away from the actual rub areas and stuff during rut because, again, the bucks might be miles down the road. So I start changing over to hunt does. You know, where, you know, all these times I'm moving my cameras constantly, I'm keeping track of where most of my does are, you know, during this entire time. So I start going to those places. And one thing I've seen a lot of times, if you've got a buck uh, on a doe, you'll usually, you'll see them in the morning times, you know, on up to eight, nine o'clock. But the ones you see that are actually, you know, looking, you usually see those 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, you know, because they ain't hooked up with one, so they still out looking. So you need to stay in the woods as long as you can during that rut. But, you know, hunt your does during that time. Not as much as the buck sign, but hunt the does because the bucks are going to be there. Gotcha. And I think it's a really good tip. And I actually, I'm, I'm going to Tennessee this weekend, which, by the way, for everybody listening to the podcast, we're actually recording this Thursday night, uh, which is the 7th of November. And this weekend, I'm going to be in Tennessee chasing some rutting deer. And I'm fired up because I'm going to be using all these tactics up there, hunting does and calling. Um, but you know, Adrian, for you, you know, what's a tip you'd give uh, to some of the guys? Uh, maybe they don't, they're not hunting a specific deer. Maybe they don't have a specific deer on camera they're chasing. Maybe they're just hunting public land or private. Uh, but what's a, a tip you'd give some guys that are, you know, either in the rut right now, or it's about to be, uh, you know, the rut in their area. What tip would you give them, uh, to be able to go in there and maybe have some success, whether they're implementing calling or not? I would probably do the same thing Jeff's doing. Um, Right now, with rut coming in, I'm looking for the first signs of scrapes. Uh, that's the time that I'm going to be doing my rattling and rattling. The, that part of the year of me hunting, I'm going to say probably my rattling part is probably going to be within a two-week period. Uh, after that, and just like Jeff, I don't use cameras, but I also keep keep up with where I see the most doe sign. And as soon as that rut actually kicks in, and I think the, the deer is going to start actually chasing does uh, just before they start locking down with them, uh, you know, doe will come in heat and she'll start smelling right several days before she's ready to breed. So there's a lot of activity going on, but better keep in mind where you see the most does at. And uh, once the rut actually kicks in, uh, I stop calling and uh, start hunting more where the does are. And I'm not like like Jeff said. I'm not looking for sign. Then I'm looking for does. So uh, because I know there's going to be a hot doe come through there, and uh, bucks are going to be there with them. And don't shoot the first buck you see unless it's just something that you got to have. Uh, because they're going to be, you know, more than likely there's going to be more than one buck following a trail, uh, hot doe, and, and he may come by four hours later. It might be twenty minutes later, but. You know, if you see a small buck and it's something that you can pass, pass him. Uh, passing deer is it, it, my success of killing a bigger deer because most of the time the big ones is, is, is not the first ones you see. We're sitting at two hours and 12 minutes, so I guess that we will wrap this one up. Uh, Jeff, Adrian, can't thank you all enough for coming on today. Uh, 
this is a pretty epic episode if I don't say so myself. I think that people are really going to like this and uh, hopefully get a lot out of it. Hopefully this is one of those that, that people will go back and listen to a bunch of times over and over again, right? <laughs> so uh, I, I just do me, me a favor. Uh-huh. Don't call it don't call it the episode. Do what now? Don't call it the episode. <laughs> oh, that, we took, about <laughs> that took me a minute. <laughs> yeah, you probably have to delete about thirty minutes out of it. Hey, man, that was some that was some groundbreaking scientific research, right? But still, even after all this, you know, two hours of talking, you know. They, there's there's probably so much stuff that we didn't even talk about man and i mean it there's a lot to it you know and, and it's and it's hard to simplify it and and just learn off of you know an hour or two listen to somebody but, but if y'all ever have any questions anybody man i mean feel free to message me even though my phone blows up all the time anyway <laughs> yeah we were talking about that earlier uh you guys have been inundated with messages lately uh so if, if anybody's got a bunch of questions uh, for either of these guys that we got on today, uh, make sure that you listen to the podcast a couple times to make sure that your question wasn't already answered in the podcast. And if it wasn't, then uh, shoot them a message. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind answering the questions. It just gets, um, it, it does get consuming. And, you know, if, if I don't answer you right off, it ain't because I'm rude. It's just, uh, I, it seemed like uh, since we started the podcast, um, I spent about two to four hours a day on the phone answering people. So, <laughs> oh yeah, it's 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 a it's definitely like a Pandora's box, man. Because yeah. me, and, me and Jacob yeah. do it too. Once you open it up, I mean it it all comes out, and it, it it's hard to get out of that that cycle, you know. I think I mentioned something about that on one of y'all's posts about the cat done got out of the bag now. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think you can put it back in there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, anyways, all right, man. Let's all get out in the woods and uh, hopefully kill some deer this weekend. Appreciate everyone for coming on. All right, man. Thank you. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.